It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. Hey, Fidelity. How can I remember to invest every month? With the Fidelity app, you can choose a schedule and set up recurring investments in stocks and ETFs. Oh, that sounds easier than I thought. You got this. Yeah, I do. Now, where did I put my keys? You will find them where you left them. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Karen Armstrong is considered one of the most influential, one of the most provocative, and original thinkers on religion today. All words that describe exactly what we love on this show. Original, provocative. Karen's personal spiritual journey is a fascinating one that I know all of you super solars are going to be intrigued as I was. And it's not at all what you might expect from a former Catholic nun. World-renowned religious scholar Karen Armstrong was born in 1944. She grew up Catholic in the heart of the United Kingdom. Though she wasn't raised in a particularly devout family, Karen felt drawn to the Roman Catholic faith. At 17, she decided on her own to become a nun, hoping to find inspiration and wisdom, enlightenment. But life at the convent soon proved to be much different than what she expected. Her mental and physical health suffered, and after seven years, Karen hit rock bottom. She left religious life and threw herself into continuing studies at Oxford University, struggling to regain her bearings in a world that in many ways, she felt had left her behind. Karen eventually did what we all must do. She discovered her calling as a teacher and a writer. Her first memoir, Through the Narrow Gate, was published in 1982 to rave reviews, catapulting her onto a worldwide stage. She became a familiar face in England, appearing frequently on television as a guest and even hosted a series. She has studied the great religions of the world and written more than 20 books. She's become an outspoken and powerful voice for religious tolerance and compassion. In 2008, she was awarded the prestigious TED Prize for all of her work. Thought-provoking, groundbreaking, she challenges her readers to see world religions from a viewpoint of connection rather than our differences. Her memoir, The Spiral Staircase, is a deeply moving account of her extraordinary spiritual journey and spiritual awakening. Let's start at the beginning because uh, this is one of the most fascinating memoirs I've ever encountered. Actually, at 17 years old, you were in search of God 
lots of people are in search of God. They go to church, they have their, you know, services, they sing in the choir, they commit themselves. But you at 17 years old decided that you wanted to be, be a Catholic nun, that you wanted to go into the convent. Yes. Your parents didn't, weren't encouraging it. They were appalled. They were appalled by it. Yes. Um, what was that? Oh, it's, you know, our motivations are always so complicated. But, one yes. of, but you know how adolescence is a time of such confusion. Yes. And I thought I would become sort of wise and serene and Buddha-like almost immediately. Um, and the Were you raised in a religious family? Not particularly religious. We were Catholic. Yes. But we didn't take it that seriously. Mm -hmm. I mean, we used to go to church and get it out of the way mm -hmm. on Sunday morning so we could But you did Mass every Sunday? We did mass every Sunday, mm -hmm. yes, but that was, that was about the size of it. We weren't a really devout family at all. You said in the very beginning uh, that God would, the re, one of the reasons why you wanted to go in the convent is so that God would no longer be a remote, shadowy reality, but a vibrant presence in my life. I would see him wherever I looked, and I myself would be transfigured because, as St. Paul had said, my puny little ego would disappear, and Christ, the Word of God, would live in me. I would be serene, joyful, inspired, inspiring, perhaps even a saint. These were your visions of what would happen in the convent. And it was quite the contrary. It didn't happen. It didn't happen at all. For one thing, I was completely unable to pray, which is a bit of a drawback for a nun. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, um, yeah. you know, I'd, I can concentrate for hours and hours at a time at my work. I don't even notice the minutes passing. But when I used to go in to make my meditation every morning, off my mind went down every skittering kind of alley and byway. Um, and this was a source of terrible shame. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying to my superior, I just can't do this. I can't do this meditation. And she said, oh, sister, you're always so dramatic. Mm -hmm. Everybody has an off day. Can you give us a bit of insight, which you do so beautifully in the spiral staircase, a bit of insight into what the daily routine was like. I mean, I felt like, whoa. Well, we'd get up at half past five in the morning. Half past five. And that, you know how that hard that is for an adolescence. Yes. Because you have that need for sleep. Yes, I mean, it's all right. deep hunger for sleep. So you immediately, you, a nun would come to the bottom of your bed and crash, bang on the bottom and say, blessed be the holy child Jesus. And we had to leap out of bed and say now and forevermore, amen. And then we would wash in cold water by the side of the, put on our habits uh -huh. and utter silence, no talking at all from nine o'clock the previous evening until after mass. Nine o'clock the previous evening? Yes. Until after mass. It's called the great silence. Wow. And then you'd go down to, to make your meditation and, or rather fail to make your meditation. So a nun who couldn't pray. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that, because a nun is nothing except the quality of her prayer. And my prayer was so bad, it was off the charts. So I, there was a sense of great shame and sort of sorrow. So what did prayer mean to you at the time versus what it now means? Well, now, um, if you ask me to meditate, I still get jitters. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, well, that's because that, of that old, that all old that phobia old training, comes old phobia, back. Yes. But what, for me now, it's my, it's my study. And that's a source of great surprise. And it comes back to that silence that we were doing. When I'm immersed in my texts, I get mini seconds of wonder. Uh, oh, 
Ah, oh, you're in contact with all these beautiful things people have been writing through the ages. Mm -hmm. And suddenly things fall into place. And now my Jewish friends tell me I should have been a rabbi because that's what Jews do when they study Torah and Talmud. They don't talk to God as Christians do, but they just study and then they will get many seconds of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And Benedictine monks used to do the same practice. Mm -hmm. You get little seconds of what they called oratio or prayer while you were studying. But when you were a nun and you would have to do this every morning, go through the meditation mm. prayer, it was, uh, it was a ritual. And it was, was it because it was too organized to... I think it must have been that. I just could not do it. God seemed to sort of not there at all. Mm -hmm. So what were you doing? Thinking, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a no, failure, I can't pray? all that, but also I'd be, I'd be worrying about things um, or uh, certain distractions would come into my head that I just couldn't, you know, like I was worrying about what would happen to me when I was doing my needlework. We spent a lot of time sewing. Oh, insufferable needlework. Awful. Yes. Awful. And, you know, every day we sewed as young nuns from nine in the morning until uh, half past twelve. And every day I would take my sewing to the assistant novice mistress and she would look at it and rip it. It was just, that was the end of it, that failure that day. And my fellow novices, they, they were quite good at this. And they could see, well, I was talking to one of them just recently. She said, you were really suffering. And we just knew that what you were sewing was going to be ripped apart. Because so you weren't good at sewing either. You I weren't good at praying or sewing. sewing. No, so yeah. th that was... Two that, strikes against two a Two strikes, nun. yes. Um, and, but I was told that that was what God wanted of me. But what does God have to do with needlework? Because, uh, very good question. Um, I, I could not really believe in my heart of hearts that God cared about this, uh, yes. this seam uh, that it was crooked. That the seam was crooked, yes. Yeah. Uh, and... So th there was that kind of anger too, I think. Yes. But I'm glad of it now because, you know, when I was teaching um, and some kids just don't, can't get it and something that seems so easy to you to understand, I remember what it was like not to be able to do something. So what was the purpose of that, you know, indoctrination, that training? What is that to make you... To make you lose a s pride and ego. But it, it was a waste of time for me because you were so intent on um, yourself and your failures. And but all you're you, doing is thinking about you're your, embedded in the ego. You're, you're embedded supposed in to the be ego. Yes. trying to transcend. So it, it, I had the old system at its very last gasp because while we were going through that as young nuns, the Vatican Council was meeting in Rome. And that completely reformed the trading of uh, young nuns. Mm -hmm. uh, so the help was at hand, mm -hmm. but I had the, this, 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 I had the old system. Because I think of the last two years of the Oprah show, I was introduced to the Dominican Sisters of Mary who were up in Michigan. And they were the happiest nuns I've ever seen. They, mm -hmm. they, they, they were talkative and laughing and full of a sense of well-being, it appeared to be. And yes. So this felt like, when I was reading what had happened to you, it felt like an old order, an old way of doing things. It was the old way of doing things. Uh, but, you know, there were one or two sisters who were remarkable. 
Um, and I will never, ever forget this. Uh, we had one superior. When we were, this time we were a bit further on. Mm. We made our first vows in the House of Studies. We were training, mm. we were starting our studies for university and college, etc. And she was dying of cancer. Uh, she was dying all the year. She was in pain and she wouldn't take any painkillers because she said, I'm, um, I, I've got to be alert for these young people. She was one of the kindest people I've ever known. Mm. And when she was actually dying, we went in all of us to say goodbye to her. She was going uh, mm. to be taken to another house to die. And she, she was very matter of fact about it, that she would be looking at, down from us from heaven. And, mm -hmm. and she called me back. And I know and knelt beside the bed and she said, sister, I want to tell you something. She said, when you came here, I was told you were going to be a problem. I want you to know that I have never found you a difficulty at all. You're, oh. a, you're a good girl, sister. And don't forget I told you so. And I've, I've never, I have never forgotten it. And sometimes when things were really, really dire, after I left, and I had many dark years, mm -hmm. uh, I, I remembered that. That you said you were that a really said, good girl. I, I was a good girl. Yes. Uh, and I thought, there she was. She was dying. She was in pain. Um, and, uh, but she saw something she's, in you. She's, she didn't see anything cheesy, like I see greatness in you, my child, but mm. just you're a good girl. And she took the time and the trouble to speak to me. Ten minutes later, she'd have forgotten all about it but I've never forgotten. And it was a lesson to me. We can all do that for somebody every day. Yeah, that is a great lesson. Um, you, we, don't, we might not even remember. Yes. Uh, Wordsworth calls it those little unremembered acts of kindness and of love, mm -hmm. that you just lighten somebody's load and you may not even realize what they've yeah. said. They've and, and, and what a gift it is to be able to lighten somebody's load, even when you don't know you're able to do it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander owned brands at Macy's.com or in store. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Tell me why you decided to leave. Let's yes, I started. It wasn't working. Did you know immediately it wasn't working? No, I, everyone thought I had a strong vocation. We were always told, unless you're asked to go home, stay, because that's what God wants. Um, and people were asked to go home, uh, but I was not, so I stuck it out. The thought of leaving was so terrifying. Why? Oh, uh, because... At 17, you have the right to say, gee, I thought this is what I wanted, but it really isn't. I didn't... You see, we were told that unless we were finding it unbearably hard, we weren't trying hard enough. Um, oh, so that's a part of the... You know, it's part of the whole idea that it you... It has to be unbearably yes, hard. Because you're, meant, you're trying to get rid of ego. Mm -hmm. And that is a hard struggle. And everybody gets lonely and terrible loneliness. I think that was the hard thing. Mm 
uh, because we were not allowed to make friends or get close to people. So the old people. order, you weren't even allowed to have friends no. uh, or called... speak to them. Yeah, one of the things that struck me is in the spiral staircase, you talk about hearing each other's cries at yes. night, but never being allowed to even ask in, in, the, in the morning, yes. in the light of morning, what, what was, was wrong? No, 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 never. Are you okay? It, because to talk about yourself would mean... Well, also, you, you're, you're depending on people instead of on God. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get to the fainting spells. You started to have fainting spells while you were at the convent. Yes. I just crash out, losing consciousness. Yes. Um, and, 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 and the Mother Superior says, you're trying to draw attention to yourself. Yes, and, yes. and this is weakness of will. And you're uh. so... And of course, I look, it's a greater responsibility, really, because if someone is losing consciousness, this is a serious matter. Yes. And I was a minor, too. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I agreed that that's probably what it was. Um, and then... Um, and that, that you were trying to draw attention to yourself by fainting? That I just thought it was weakness of will. Weakness of will. Um, and that oh. I was getting too upset about things. Then I started having nosebleeds and vomiting. It was as though my body was saying, get no, out, get no, out. no. Mm -hmm. And there was one incident um, at, the, um, at the very end when um, I, I was being driven to the station. I was getting a train to spend the summer at another mm -hmm. convent. And I had started one of these terrible nosebleeds. So I said to the sister as I got to the station, look, there's a box of tissues here. I'll take this. And she said, no, sister, you can't take these because they belong to the community. I said, I suddenly went ballistic. I said, are you crazy? I said, uh, you are always worried that we give scandal when we go out. What's he going to look at if I arrive in Harrogate this evening covered in blood in my habit? It's crazy. I'm taking it. And that was the beginning. Something snapped. I thought, this is, this is not the will of God. This is, this is stupidity. Uh, and then it was later that summer, we were just going go in, into retreat, and I collapsed, and I started to cry. And I cried for three days. I just kept on saying, I can't do it. I was having a breakdown, I think. And they could not have been kinder. Once you decided to leave. Yes, but they could, have, they, they could have put pressure on me and they could have made me feel bad about it. They were sorry. Uh, and they, 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 it was harder in a way because they were being so kind than if they'd gone on being awful and I could have walked so out So the moment rage. they realized that you were not going to be able to make it. They, said, they realized that I was so distressed uh, that this, this, this was not working. Were you made to feel guilty that, it, that you didn't love God enough? Not when I left, no. Not when you left? No, they just said you were too young, and that's true. It was my own fault. I was too pig-headed yes. not to take advice and to go in later when I had more maturity mm -hmm. and knew what I was doing. But they accepted you at 17. They did, and they said, no, we never will accept people as young as that again. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. Uh, well, in the Victorian period, you see, that would have been perfectly okay mm -hmm. because you didn't have much choice about things. Teen, there was no such thing as a teenage years or uh, trying right. to find yourself. Uh, and young people, it was the 1960s. And youth, I didn't know anything about this, of course, but youth was coming into its own. So you went in in 1962 into the convent, came out in 1969. Yes. And happened to be at a party one evening and you hear this music and you ask, 
who is that group? Yes. And it's the Beatles. <laughs> I, I'd never heard of them. You'd never heard of the no, Beatles? No, I'd never heard of the and Beatles. And all of your, your then friends mm -hmm. thought they were like, what? Yes, yeah. exactly. They, they, uh, and I'd never heard of Vietnam, which was the great scene for students at that time. Uh, demonstrations, I'd never heard of it. I didn't know who the prime minister was. So in the seven years that you were in, you, you didn't read a newspaper, you no. didn't listen to a radio, and certainly no. not turn on a, didn't have a television. No. No. So it's like seven years going into a tomb and then coming out. Well, I suppose it was, uh, you were meant to die to yourself. So die it was, to yourself. It was, uh, uh, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be sort of um, concerned with things in the world. And in all that time, you went in to find God. You never found him. No. Found it. Uh, no. And, uh, you never had a transcendent moment. You never experienced what you wrote about. No, I, I never did. Uh, mm. And so uh, when I left, I let God just drift away. God had always seemed to be on the periphery of my life, and I just thought that's it. And uh, I became really anti-religion for about 13 years. Anti-religious, really? Yes, I, I just wanted nothing to do with religion ever again, mm -hmm. and, I, and I'd failed at it. And if I saw people reading a religious book on, the tra on a train, you would I'd turn think, your nose oh, up. no, and little did I ever think I'd be writing these things. I've mentioned the spiral staircase several times. Tell me why you called it that. Well, it's that image uh, of Ash Wednesday, mm -hmm. T.S. Eliot's poem. Which you use at the beginning of the book. And yes. the, the image that runs through all those poems in Ash Wednesday is of a winding staircase, a spiral staircase that goes round and round and round, but you're going always up. You mm -hmm. may feel that you're going round in circles, but you are actually moving uh, up to, towards the light. Um, and that's what my life seemed to have been like. I seemed to be going, been going around in circles, not getting anywhere. And yet all the time I was moving up, moving forward. Uh, and uh, so that, that was for that image. Well, what then was, I'm going, going to page 214 where you write, my years of the convent had changed me forever. I might have lost my faith. I could no longer believe in God or the doctrines of the church, but I still longed for the sense of heightened intensity and transcendence that the convent had promised to give me. What was it about your 17-year-old self and even years later that you were looking for that sense of transcendence? I think it's How did you know that that, was, that even existed? Uh, you'd get, I'd get glimmers of it when I was reading poetry mm. or listening to music. We, we all have these moments in our lives because yes. our, our minds are so constructed that we have experiences that go beyond what we can explain. Yes. It's a peculiar characteristic of the human mind. Um, and we look out for these moments when uh, it's the Greek... It's happened to everybody. We have it in all kinds of ways. We have it not just in religion, but when we listen to music, when we watch a sunset. Um, I remember uh, years later when we, I was in um, Israel and uh, driving down one morning, the early in the morning, going to the Dead Sea, mm -hmm. down that road, down to the heart of the world, the lowest point in the world. And we had Mendelssohn's Violin Concerto on the uh, on the radio, radio and the sun the was coming up with the mm. desert around you and you were just there in that moment um, everything came together mm -hmm. you felt you're inhabiting your humanity more fully than, than usual I've had those moments we've all had those moments we've all had those moments uh, 
those moments where everything feels like, first of all, there's a oneness with everything and everything feels like it's all right, all will be well. Yes. All will be well. It's just that it doesn't last, mm -hmm. uh, but you can remember them and you can, you can put yourself back into that moment of time when things all came together. That's what I was looking for. You talk about really um, what so many thought leaders who've sat in that same chair on Super Soul Sunday have also talked about. When you stopped pushing against things, when you stopped pushing yes. against it, is when you were able to relax yes. into the now. Yes. Um, and I was at a very, very low point because I was having these terrible experiences. So you were passing out, you were smelling and sulfur. Having, and having moments of absolute terror. Terror. Absolute terror when the world uh, is unrecognizable. It's a state that they call jamais vu. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite of deja vu because you've never seen it before. You forget how to go down a flight of stairs. Uh, you forget what a glass of water is or you the world becomes absolutely unrecognizable. So you must have thought you were losing your mind. I, I was. Oh, in, you did think you were losing your I mind. I was, um, yeah. and I, I was in and out of mental hospitals, and I went to a fleet of psychiatrists who also thought I was neurotic. And finally, I had a grove mal attack in the un, in the in a, in a in station. station yeah. I was taken to hospital. They said you you had an epileptic fit. But this is after years. This was after years. I was I was in my early thirties by this time. We're talking 1976. And as you describe in the spiral circus, as you're sitting there and the doctor says, have there been lapses of memory? Yes. Did you have a smell of this? Did you have that? And you are in awe because all the things mm. you've been experiencing for years and years and years, this doctor is now saying them. Yes. It was, a, it was one of the happiest moments of my life. To be diagnosed as an epileptic. Yes. Yeah. Because I knew now what it was. And he said, you know, this was a classic case. And he said, why did no, nobody spot it? It's, it's, it's textbook. Yes. This is the way my brain is. Dostoevsky had this, we think. Mm -hmm. Van Gogh had it. Mm -hmm. You can see it in some of his paintings, I think. Where the, the olive Tennyson had it. Tennyson had it, who mm -hmm. I was studying for all mm -hmm. those years. Mm -hmm. I was probably drawn to his poetry because, because I said, of it. Because of that. Mm -hmm. Have you ever wondered what the stars have to say about your favorite artists and writers? Listen to Stars and Stars with Isa, where I, your host and astrologer, Isa Nakazawa, read and interpret astrological birth charts of luminaries like W. Kamau Bell, Gia Tolentino, and so many more. You'll discover how astrology can unlock fascinating insights about these stars. And who knows, maybe you'll learn a little bit more about yourself. Listen to Stars and Stars with Isa wherever you get your podcasts. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The very first time you had your first grand mal seizure on, when you were on your way to the station, just before you went into the seizure space, you had a, what you thought was a glimpse mm. of God. Can you describe that? Oh, it was just a sort of blinding moment where every, you suddenly saw everything as, as it, the essence of things. Um, and that it, 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 you filled with sort of joy and wonder and at last this is it and then out. Uh, but I never thought that was God. 
I always thought there was something, just as I'd never thought that my dreadful fear or, and all the bad stuff I was experiencing was the devil or anything of that sort. I knew there was something the matter with my mind, with my brain, and, and indeed there was. What is shocking to me is that you also kept this from your parents for such a long time. Yes. Uh, it, uh, and I was so sick, you know, when I mm -hmm. left the religious life. I was anorexic and suicidal. And I'm so sorry because my parents uh, thought I was finished. They thought I was over. You know, I was ruined in some way. At the convent? Uh, and afterwards. I was six years uh, in this state of, of sorrow. You even attempted to take your life, but didn't really remember doing it. There this, wasn't a conscious... Can you read the excerpt? I think it's on page 125. Okay, yes. Yeah. Uh, it, that, that's the sort of thing that happens with this disease. You do things. I mean, you'd go somewhere and you didn't... Um, and you couldn't remember being there. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There you go. What I was unconsciously trying to do that night was to make clear the depths of my desperation. I did not know how to live any longer, and nobody seemed to realize just how frightened I was. Nobody was willing to listen. I had expressed my fear and despair, and I could do no more. I had come to the end, had given up hope, and there was a certain peace in that. Mm. I, I just, uh, people were saying, oh, you're doing fine, you're great. And I knew I wasn't fine. I was just, uh, I thought I would end my life in a locked ward. Mm. You think you're going crazy. Of course you would. But knowing now that I could trust my mind, yes. that I, I wasn't crazy, that, that, that there was a future, that was when everything changed. Mm -hmm. So it's been 50 years since the convent now. Do you consider yourself a religious person? Yes. Or a spiritual person or both? I would say both. Mm -hmm. um, but I also say when people say, what, how do you sub yourself up? I say convalescent. I feel that I'm recovering uh, from a bad experience when I was young. Still the, still the convent, real. Well, for, for, you know, from we all, all of it. But we all have brokenness in our mm -hmm, lives. Mm -hmm. We all have moments of failure and hurt and sorrow. That's one of the few things that pulls all human beings together. We right. all know sorrow. We've mm -hmm. all had those brokenness. We all have things we have to recover from. Mm -hmm. and uh, that sort of vulnerability. And, um, and so, yes, I am in, but I'm still learning. I can't see any one of these faiths as superior to any of the others. I see each of them has its Leading own. Leading to the ultimate God. And each has its own insight and genius. When did you really, would you say, discover God? When did God become real for you? I think it was while I was writing that book. History of God. Yes. Uh, and why did you want to write the history of God? Well, I thought it was going to be a sort of skeptical book at first, that mm -hmm. I'd uh, noticed the way theologians over the years had rejigged the idea. What I began to discover was that all the faiths said that what we say about God isn't God at all. Uh, that the biblical God we have is a kind of starter kit, really. I love but, that. Uh, the biblical God <laughs> is a starter kit. Yes. I love that. And you, you, you've got to work with it. And we often hear about God for the first time when we're learning about Santa Claus. You're right. And our idea of Santa Claus develops and changes and matures over time. Yes. But God, we tend to think it's still in an infantile way about yes. God. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what they were all saying I, is... I get that. When we say God, we don't know what we're talking about. This is, because God can't be described. God can't be described. So suddenly I began to say, okay, 
This is what all the, yes. the texts tell us. That's what all of the great world religions, they even say you can't even say God exists because our notion of existence is too limited. We only know beings that have limited existence. All of, all of us finish and die, and there's times we weren't here, we get sick and old. Uh, but God is being itself, and we don't, have no conception of what we mean by that. Now, this was an eye-opener to me. I, that, that was, was that your first big aha? It was a huge aha, because then I began to realize that, okay, uh, this, this personalized God, that I couldn't work with it. Mm -hmm. But once you say that's just to start you off on a, on a journey into transcendence, which means you are going beyond what can be said or thought or understood. And so from your perspective, having studied it and being the scholar, the noted scholar in the world on all the religions, would you say that all religion is a path, is a starter kit, is a, is a, a pointer in the direction yes. of that which is God. Yes, which can't be spoken about. Which can't be spoken and about. Buddha, for example, would never describe nirvana. He would always say it is not possible to describe nirvana. You have to do, you have to do it. And that's the thing. That was the great message, too, that they were all saying, God, it's, uh, that religion is something you do. Religious knowledge is a practical form of knowledge, like driving or swimming. You can't learn to swim uh, or to dance by reading a book. Mm -hmm. You've got to get into the water and learn to float. So there is no religion without action. It, action is essential. That, that certain practices like meditation uh -huh. or kindness and compassion, yeah. which day by day, hour by hour, take you out of yourself towards another person. Yeah. And that, uh, as you try and do that, day by day, hour by hour, you leave yourself behind. Uh, and when you literally do what the nuns were trying to teach you in that old order, you lose yourself and give yourself over to something else. Uh, you think about the other first. You think about the other, uh, which is the definition of compassion, uh, yes, is it not? To feel with the other person. To feel with the other and person. And they all, that was another aha moment. They all, the religions, say this is the way to the divine. Uh, that by so all religions have the common thread of compassion. Yes. And all religions in one form or another say, do unto others. Never treat others as you would not like to be treated yourself. That's the thread. That's the thread. Confucius said it was the central thread that pulled all his teaching together. And we had to do it all day and every day. Not just as, you know, sometimes we say, well, that's my good deed for the day. And then going back. You have to live it. To, or putting yourself in the place of the other all the time. All the time. So before we leave, though, tell me, what is God to you now? God is that which cannot be expressed. Uh, and that is very important to me, mm -hmm. that, that we cannot know what God is. Uh, but God is that which takes us continually beyond what we can know, beyond what we seek or want, um, and is constantly drawing us forward to something greater. Something God is. more. Do you see God as the life force? God is the life force. Mm -hmm. God, is, God is being itself. God, everything. You, where, wherever you sit, look, you look at the beauties of nature. You mm -hmm. look into the eyes of an animal. You can see the divine there. Something absolutely sacred. Just keep your mind open and look for God. I like to look for God in other people, in other things, rather than thinking of a being up there. Perfect.
That was beautiful, Karen. Thank you. Thank you, Oprah. Our conversation will continue in the next episode. You can listen by downloading part two. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wondered what the stars have to say about your favorite artists and writers? Listen to Stars and Stars with Issa, where I, your host and astrologer, Issa Nakazawa, read and interpret astrological birth charts of luminaries like W. Kamau Bell, Gia Tolentino, and so many more. You'll discover how astrology can unlock fascinating insights about these stars. And who knows, maybe you'll learn a little bit more about yourself. Listen to Stars and Stars with Issa wherever you get your podcasts. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.